Hello one and all. Happy Easter if you chose to celebrate it this weekend, however you chose to celebrate it. This week we have my old boss on the show. Uh, I thought he'd be a fantastic candidate. Not only was he a genuinely nice guy, but Simon actually began his professional career as a captain in the army. But since then has migrated into the world of digital and I just thought it was a lovely story to tell to demonstrate the inclusivity of digital and, and the tech industry. So we get into all that and we also talk about and digital and their hiring process, their team building process and just generally the tech industry in general. So it's a great episode. Simon was a lovely guest to have and I really, really enjoy talking to him. So with that all being said, let's get right on into the episode. But before that, I just want to mention that if you could leave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you listen to us on, that would be fantastic. If you have Instagram, uh, give us a follow on there or Twitter or TikTok. And finally, if you did want to support us, it's through your generous donations that we're able to keep doing this. Then you can find us on patreon.com slash that tech show. So thank you all for your generous support so far. Now, without further ado, here is Simon Holden. There we go, speak of the devil. (laughs) Just call me the devil. (laughs) I said speak of the devil, not... Very polite way to kind of say hello (laughs) <laughs> speak of the devil and he shall appear and there you are <laughs> hey Chris, how are you doing you right? I'm alright, how are you? all good, thank you, all good hi Sam hello I don't, I don't see why we should, shouldn't get right into it I hope you're excited uh, excited and nervous in equal measure Sam Me, yeah, I, I've, I've been shivering for the last hour or so Chris hasn't heard the end of it and I don't know if it's, I'm anxious or whether I'm literally because it's cold I think it's because it's cold because... <laughs> It should just be a, a nice, gentle chat. But I'm fine, by the way. It's good to keep both of you in some sort of state of anxiety. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> you in the house that you you've been redoing, I'm, and I know I'm kind of probably about three years out of date. Oh no, you're not. I am still no. very much doing the house. Um, I, I actually managed to um, I managed to finish my two front rooms on Christmas Day at five a.m. Um, wow which was just in time to do the Christmas decorations on Christmas Day, um, <laughs> which was put, included putting up the Christmas tree and moving furniture into the room. Lovely. So, you really enjoyed the Christmas Day after that, did you? You felt relaxed and... Yeah, well, we've, we, I think, what, what's the date now? It's, we're supposed to take the Christmas tree down a couple of days ago. We've still got it up because we're enjoying it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Rules don't apply anymore. <laughs> no, no, rules all went out the window last year, didn't they? So, uh, yeah, no, it's it's um it's good. It's 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 miraculous to have a living room after three years, though. You go for three years without a living room, and then all of Imagine. a sudden have two of them is uh, is yeah. ridiculous. So the, uh, the 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 neighborhood cat has been coming and visiting and playing on the floor, which has been very <laughs> nice because we don't have a cat; we just have a rental cat um, or a friend, a cat friend, who comes and appears. Um, but yeah, it's nice to have the space. Yeah. Nice to actually sit in a living room. <laughs> enjoy. enjoy, you deserve it. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, should we crack on them? Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, first of all, like I wanted to, I wanted to clarify something because in the time we've we've not worked together for now, 
God, two, two, three years or something like that. But in this time, I've struggled to describe who, who you were to me or who you were kind of in the company, right? And uh, this, this will make sense because I, I've always described you as a CEO and it, 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 the kind of CEO, actually, to, to, to paraphrase, uh, well, yeah. yeah, to be, and it kind of is a, is a testament to the kind of structure and whatever and digital, but who were you to me when we worked together, Simon? Cool. So Simon Holden, uh, and I am one of the directors at And Digital. In And Digital, we have we operate on a club structure. So that's our business unit, and, and my role was club exec. So I was accountable for that business unit, and that's about ninety people. And I think you're right in terms of it's like a CEO, but with a safety net. So um, your boss is the wrong word. You look after a group of 90 to 100 people, you've got your own clients, um, you've got your own office, um, you run your P&L, um, and you're accountable for making sure those people are happy, you deliver great work for your clients, uh, and you deliver a stable commercial um, proposition. Um, but you are part of a bigger organisation which delivers uh, recruitment which delivers training which is you know the umbrella brand all of those good things so yeah um you get the shiny nice aspects of, of being a ceo but um you've got a bit of protection and a bit of support and a safety net because mm. it is kind of like a smaller version of something like i don't know any massive brand like johnson johnson where they just are just conglomerate and they have all these own brands but you still operate under the brand of and digital right that safety net is something a bit closer to the bone rather than something like johnson johnson yeah absolutely so so you know i live and die or keep my job or don't keep my job based on 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 the club's performance and whether you measure uh, yeah on uh, all those metrics you know mm. the happiness of the andes um the development of the andes the happiness of the clients delivery of the revenue um all of those things are on your shoulders and that's that's exciting and terrifying in equal measure um mm. but yeah that's the role yeah um, so basically you're saying i can continue to describe you as a kind my kind of ceo or were my kind of yeah, a kind yeah, of that, however you wish that sounds one of the more polite <laughs> ways people describe my relationship with them so i'm happy with that um, yeah. yeah but we okay. work together sam we work to debt together that's we're we a do. team yeah there you go yeah and that's kind of that's kind of based on the the spotify model it's a kind of correlation there isn't there between us well and digital and the spotify model wasn't there yeah, yeah so there are much cleverer people than me who can kind of quote all the, the different references but mm. 90 to 100 people whether you look at the army whether you look at villages whether you look at you know spotify or, or gore-tex or other organizations 90 to 100 people you can have proper meaningful connections and you can feel part of community when you stretch out of that, and whether that's 110, 120, it starts to become uh, an environment where you don't know everyone's names, you don't mm. feel a person to the majority. Um, that's why we keep it, because it allows us to have a very strong culture and within the group. Um, mm. And that, that's great for people within the group, and that's actually great for our clients as well, in terms of I think they get a, I think uh, they get a better a more committed team who understand each other and that's powerful I think. so so what is it that you actually do now because you're not kind of ceo anymore are you 
not that. So, so did four years of that and, and um, genuinely relished it. it, it lots of learning, uh, lots of mistakes, tried to minimize those, but, you know, learned a load uh, and fantastic group of people to work with. And, and it's lovely, genuinely wonderful to be part of a team. So, so mm. that's great. Four years, though, felt like, okay, what's the next challenge? You know, I, I probably, it's probably a diminishing returns in terms of the new ideas or, or things I can bring to that group. And they're probably getting bored of me already, or if they hadn't done previously. Um, so the new role, I'm just kind of, I've got two roles, still working out them to a certain extent. But the first one is, and I don't like either of these titles, so, so, so please forgive me. Uh, one is Chief of Strategic Accounts. So that is relating to the fact that the way we do business currently is that uh, one club will, will, will um, support one client. A club might have six or seven clients. And that's very direct. Uh, there's no confusion. It's intimate, all of those good things. We are starting to have a number of clients where they would like to operate with us across a number of locations or just at a scale where just one club can't support it. So my role, and I'm only five weeks in, is broadly to be probably the one throat to choke for those clients so they can kind of come and hit someone, one person uh, within the and organization if they need to. Hopefully that's not too often, but more to try and stitch internally together how we actually are able to deliver that without undermining or, or, or diluting too much our actual way of operating. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I have a whole heap of questions, but I don't, I don't want to kind of distract too much from the target of the, uh, the, the, the topic of the podcast. But um, basically, I thought that's what Basecamp would do, or that's what Basecamp, uh, like, that's their, that's their role or whatever. Uh, interesting. So, so Basecamp has gone through a number of different iterations. Um, the way in which I would articulate it is so the second role I play mm. is the link lead. And that's about essentially what are facilitating, not necessarily managing, but facilitating a senior group of people around connecting across the business. So some of that's around, you know, how do we, you know, strategic alliances. So our relationships with you know, Google, for example, and how do we kind of utilize that to our advantage, our clients advantage and mutually beneficial to Google. Um, or it might be around talent mobility and how do we support uh, the reactive and proactive, proactive uh, talent mobility and succession planning across the business. So those are things that can't really be done within a club that, that, because it's by its very nature across mm -hmm. the business. Um, yeah, and so in one sense, I sit in the centre from a strategic client's perspective because... Um, we take an example of Lloyd. So, for instance, you know, there's a big that's that's a strategic client for, for and Digital. There are a lot of people there, and it spans across a number of clubs. So, someone needs to take it on the chin, or, or make sure mm. we're sticking it all together. Uh, and so, that's that's one of the roles I'm playing. So, the way I interpret that is, Basecamp is more admin-y kind of operations of the company whereas you're more like that strategic role with the directly like working with the clients whereas Basecamp wouldn't tend to from a from a organization um and project perspective they wouldn't really be that close to the client 
Yeah, absolutely. So, mm. so the, the, you know, the kind of, as you'd imagine, the operating model has kind of evolved a couple of times since mm. your time, Sam. So, so we still have the clubs, as I just discussed, and, and that was what you and I were part of. Um, and we group those clubs into kind of a regional grouping. So we've got a London hub, which has got five clubs in. We've got a northern hub, which has got four clubs in. And within each of the clubs, you've got each of the clubs. Uh, and then you've got some support services. So dedicated training, dedicated recruitment, dedicated kind of commercials and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then the bit that you've got that I've been talking about is the link. And that's about, you know, connecting across the business and kind of having some of those kind of, yeah, front facing roles potentially. And then actually we have a set final team we have really is the BHAG team. So how do we actually proactively address some of our big hairy audacious goals for 2025 so one of us around you know wanting to close the digital skills gap and, and, and upskilling 200,000 people how do we do that practically and, and how do we actually make that happen and, and what are the big ideas and how do we turn those into practical action plans and, and implement so yeah sounds really good i mean sounds super exciting you're a man of ambition what can i say <laughs> always pushing I'm one, of, I'm one of many i'm one of many I was wondering what the A was going to stand for in the BHAG. Yeah. <laughs> it, often, it, it, it often can be a couple of things. Yeah, yeah. I can't spell audacious, but I definitely think it's a more appropriate word than others. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, um, after, a bit of, after a bit of LinkedIn stalking, I noticed that actually you went to Swansea University, which I didn't know. <laughs> were, you, that... were, you, were you a frequent on, on Wine Street? Um. Do you know what? I spent most of my time at Swansea actually in London playing rugby for the army. So I didn't oh. spend a huge amount of time in, in Swansea. But I was very clear that if you go out in Swansea, don't go out on a Friday and Saturday night with um, an English accent. That is not a, stu a student. Oh. Accent. That is not a, um, you're yeah. not completely welcomed. And I can absolutely see where they're coming from. They don't need a load of snotty students coming around, uh, interrupting their Friday evenings. So. <laughs> we, um, well, uh, my theatre company, we did a play based on Swansea and Wine Street and these two um, colourful ladies and their kind of lives and whatever in Swansea. So Swansea's quite close to my heart. I, I'm a massive fan of Wales. I think, I think Swansea, Wales, brilliant, brilliant country. Yeah, yeah, yeah um cool well i'm um, basically well, let's get into the meat of the episode because i think really interested to hear more about like the army and your time at the army and and how you want to transition into tech but um well i mean you're a captain right in the army yep yep in the end i was yeah oh very good and and kind of what was i mean was that how long was that for so i joined age 21 um after kind of as you say after uni uh and did five years mm. Sandhurst and then kind of four commissioned years so sanders is the kind of uh, officer training for a year and then uh and then four years kind of commissioned service so kind of working in the regiment yeah do we need to, do we still need to call you captain <laughs> my children don't even call me dad they call me simon <laughs> 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 I command no respect anywhere, so no. Because uh... <laughs> we can put that on the episode title if you want. I like that. Please, please, please. I don't need to give anyone else any more ammunition to give me hassle. <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't call you that. Like that's that's a, I think that's an incredible nickname, the captain. 
That's so cool. And you were captain of the ship and, you know, the uh, Decker and, gosh, all these things fitting together now. Good. Well, there you go, Sam. There you go. I'm glad we missed that. <laughs> Um, okay, cool. So, like, thinking more about like technology, then, like, what? Be honest. You could be totally yeah. honest. Like, what was your relationship with technology whilst you were at the army? Zero. Z- that, yeah. So that's so slightly unfair. Um, when I was in, so early two thousands, two thousand to two thousand and five, um, there was very very limited technology. So I didn't have, I think if I wanted to use the IT system, I had to go in and use it off someone else's desk. I, I didn't have, so that, that, that kind of level of, of kind of just availability of, of mm. actual hardware. There was some impressive technology in terms of um, weapon systems uh, uh, and, you know, kind of guidance systems and so on. So I did kind of, uh, part of my, you know, part of my time was with, um, Rockets, and then there's some interesting stuff there. And actually, the army's moved on away in terms of technology. But for me, during those five years in technology that you and I would understand, mm. uh, limited to none. How how advanced was the technology? So you were talking about rocket science there, literally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how how advanced was that in comparison to things that we were we would be aware of in the public domain? Um. Good question. There was definitely technology that was highly protected. So, mm. you know, that you would be jailed for losing or, 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 or giving access to. Or it, talking about on a podcast. Or things that, you know, if you went to get briefed on, you know, well, actually, mobile phones weren't really a thing back then as prevalent. But, you know, mm. notebooks, no, no notebooks, no recording equipment, no phones in the room, in the complex. But there was some interesting stuff. I think it was, there was some kind of, at that point, fairly cutting edge. Probably nowadays, that stuff isn't cutting edge, but there is definitely some, some, some good stuff going on. Um, but in terms of it being all pervasive across all of you know every soldier much less so so there was some mm. kind of quite niche stuff that yeah some pretty cool stuff that people so i think the probably the question is you know a lot of the uh, technology that we use on a day-to-day basis for example the internet as we're using now um is is derived from military technology and does that mean are, are is the military still ahead in terms of its technology than what is available in the public domain is the stuff that trickles down or has that shifted recently do you think with sort of the onset of well actually i mean you you can you can see it in the in the sense that it's elon musk that's sending vehicles into space it's not um it's not the military or nasa anymore yeah yeah i'll give a view whether it's still current or valid i'm not sure Mm. I think there are two answers to that question. I think there is probably some real cutting edge technology that in the military, whether it be army, air force, Navy, or whether it be in the kind of, um, MI6, MI5 aspects, GTHQ, which is, which is good stuff Mm. and comparable in terms of technology on the ground for the standard operators, whether that be soldiers, 
air force you know yeah sailors whatever i would say that's significantly behind the curve and that's more to do with budgets and, and availability of providing that kind of what we would consider um entry level or kind of just table stakes technology to do your job i would say that's probably lacking mm. there's probably a lot of a lot invested in the kind of real cutting edge stuff at the front i see so it's probably well, quite a, quite a, a gap there i guess then between I, I would say, yeah yeah because you were saying obviously mobile phones weren't particularly pervasive well they weren't pervasive anyway at the time but i presume you didn't have one <laughs> no, no so i did yeah, certainly did not have a mobile phone uh i did not like i said i didn't have any it equipment in terms of i had my own laptop uh but that wasn't plugged into any that was a, that wasn't on the network that wasn't i wasn't able to access any of the systems a laptop not on a network what the hell did you do with that <laughs> I wrote reports, so I wrote the reports for my, for my soldiers. But that oh, was, okay. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Not on a typewriter then. It's, yes, a glorified typewriter. And so then when I left the army, and this is a reflection on me, I had no, I'd never used Microsoft Office. Mm. And oh. I joined PA Consulting as a, as a consultant analyst, you know, with all these kind of clever people. And I got issued my laptop and for kind of half an hour, I was just kind of quietly working under the desk, trying to work out how, what, you know, what does, what does calendar do? And how do you, <laughs> without trying to kind of get done out, you know, kicked out for my probation for not being able to use my laptop. Um, wow. That's super interesting. Cause like, yeah, we, we, I mean, that's totally where we're going with this. Cause like, what I was going to ask like, what, but like, from the army in, in the army yes they weren't giving you these technology but, but your personal experience with technology was also pretty pretty limited not not really you know at home yep. or whatever that's wild and, and 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 how did you how so you found that transition pretty tricky or like yeah, how I was think, that transition well one i don't think you have any idea what well, the majority of people in the forces have no idea about what's outside mm. uh, so you're in a green bubble you've got no context and it's almost actively encouraged you do have you don't have any context of, of the kind of civilian world and that's a good retention tool because mm. you're fearful of how do i what, what do i bring and, and what are the opportunities uh my observation was that i'd done five years in the army i was 26 and i had a degree i would be like, hopefully broadly employable so people would not perceive me as being stuck in my ways or unable to kind of adapt to a new job. Mm. Um, I believed that I had some transferable skills, but it was hard to articulate. And it was, and, and you know, half the interview people really didn't think so and, and had no interest and, and didn't. Uh, and half the people thought were actually, you know, at the other end of the extreme and thought actually, yeah, skills of I don't know, communication, clarity of thought, decision making, team, you know, teamwork, all that kind of stuff. They valued because you know either they had seen it before or they'd had other people do it and stuff. So, uh, but my view was that actually management consultancy would be the one of the most effective ways of learning about the commercial world because you go on and you work with a number of different clients and you get exposure to different things. So it was a good way of seeing the commercial world without committing to one particular area per se. So I luckily got into PA consulting. Um, and the majority of work in management consultancy at that time uh, was technology, yeah, technology programs and projects. Mm. Um, so that's where I kind of got involved. 
Um, yeah. And then, but then when I moved to Andistal, you know, kind of four years ago, that was a very conscious decision in terms of digital is a logical place to be. It is a yeah, I am deliberately choosing to try and place myself in that in that space. Is it a common thing for PA consulting to go after um, former army officers? Yes, <laughs> they were definitely. Um, there was a large contingent of of ex forces people in PA, um, and I think my view or my understanding was that actually uh, they valued those individuals because categorically I was surrounded by people who were far more intelligent than me. You know, their their, their degrees, what they, you know, their interests. They they were they were head and shoulders above me academically and, and so on, and that was quite intimidating. But what I came to realize after about two or three months of kind of nervously kind of staring at my laptop and twiddling my thumbs was I was in a room with you know whatever 15 15 very clever people talking about how to solve this client problem great and I wasn't contributing but in the end I realized actually my contribution was okay there are the options we just discussed here is the recommendation of what we need to do here is the plan of how we do it Here's what we're going to do. Here's where we're going to report back and put some structure and drive around it. And I think that whether that be in technology, whether that be in management consultancy, whether that be in, in, in whatever sphere of life, financial service or whatever, it took me a while to realize that there is value in, in individuals who are able to understand what the problem is, establish what a clear, concise plan is and execute it with a group of people to the satisfaction of the client, whether that be internal or, 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 or external, uh, and communicate clearly. And that's where I found my value. And I think a number of businesses, and I think it's becoming more prevalent, perceive that as valuable as well. It's hard to write that down on a CV because, well, it, it, it doesn't really hold water on a CV, but it's there does you know, there is intrinsic value there, I think. Well, a lot of these of what you're talking about are, are sort of key project management skills, really, yeah. to, to be able to grab something, interpret it and get it done. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So, yeah, uh, and that's essentially what I did for the first three, four years in management consultancy was be a straightforward project program manager. And, and mm. I think you learn those skills very clearly in the forces, I think. I was going to say, where do you attribute that kind of initiative? Was it from the forces? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think, you know, I think it adds, you know, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about, okay, there's a mission. What's the objective? Achieve that objective, you know? Do, do any of the um, sort of project program management uh, frameworks, things that we talk about, waterfall, uh, agile, all those sort of things, do, do any of them actually play a part in the forces or can you see echoes of them in the forces? Um, yeah, that's, that's a good point, actually. I think, I think some do. There are, you know, so, you know, the kind of ceremonies in Agile, you know, the kind of, you know, the mm. daily stand-up, the, there's definitely correlations there. You know, the comms and transparency. Uh, mission command in the forces is quite an interesting one. And I think that does translate across. The mission commands around actually um, 
here's your objective. I'm not going to tell you how to get there. You understand the parameters in which you are you can operate. Go for it. And you don't have to ask me how to do it. You understand why it needs to be done. There are lots of different methodologies. Lots of them are applicable in different scenarios. Some are better, some are worse. But the basic tenets all hold true in terms of really understand what you're trying to do. Make sure everyone does understand what you're trying to do. Make sure people commit to a plan and execute against it and be agile enough with a small a to to adapt as and when things go wrong because they will mm. incredible um <clears throat> i want to ask as well like you, you mentioned that you you specifically chose tech like why was that i specifically don't chose digital four years ago yeah like from from the pa consultant that you well, did. So, so i had a couple of other roles in between um and and my view was that the, the previous roles, including PA and the ones after, were management consultancy. Mm. Um, and my view that that was becoming less justification for employing management consultants is reducing, in my view, um, whether that proves to be the case or not. But I, I, that's my observation in general. So, 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 you know, there might be absolutely, I think there's the market for highly specialised consultancy you know the kind of that type of thing um and uh, you know digital clearly is in my view playing a bigger and bigger part in our world mm. um and that struck me as that would be a sensible place to expose myself to i wouldn't classify myself um as a digital expert mm um i'm frequently you know the least knowledgeable person in the room although i probably kind of probably knew slightly more than i give myself credit for um but it's definitely a, a, you know you know as you guys know you know i think it's vibrant exciting growing critical part of our world and our economy and so that is a good place to be mm, yeah did you have any preconceptions of kind of the tech industry before you came into it um so so probably for the last 15 years i have been in tech so, so mm. i classify technology so I, the way i would use language and it's a bit kind of basic but technology is kind of old it and then digital is kind of got you um, yeah so that's how i would classify it so old technology was as one would expect uh, and, and and digital i think has been as you know it, it does conform well there are yeah you know, some of the stereotypes are there as you as that's how stereotypes get created. But mm. um, yeah, but, but fundamentally, you're dealing with people and you're dealing with problems or opportunities to kind of to go after. Um, and it's about trying to understand the actual context of that or, mm. or, or have people around you who understand the context better um, in terms of making those kind of insightful decisions around actually what framework to use or, or, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. Mm. And was it a surprise kind of, let's, let's use that terminology then. Cause yeah, digital, um, I think that's a nice way to describe it as well. But, um, did, were, how was it kind of coming into it? Like, were, did you have any preconceptions and were those preconceptions like, you know, oh, unfounded or, or whatever, like, how was it kind of getting involved in it and finding yourself in it? Um, I don't think I had any preconceptions per se. I think whenever you operate 
I've always felt I've gone into areas where everyone else has been more knowledgeable. So, you know, when you're 21, join the army, you go through a year's worth of training, and then you go and join your regiment. And, and you know, for me at that point, it was air defense. So, you know, um, and there were people, soldiers there who've been operating these pieces of kit for 20 years. They're gonna look at a 22 year old kind of boy who comes in to be their boss and go, well, what do you, can t what, you know, what are you bringing to the party? Well, you know, why are we gonna kind of give you any respect? And to a certain extent, that's the same in, in kind of moving to and digital in terms of I didn't have a digital resume that kind of stood up to anyone else's. But if I was transparent with that, hopefully, or and acknowledged that, but brought other things to the party, hopefully that was of some value, whether you can, you, you, I'm sure some of you are kind of a good person to judge with on that one per se, but um, yeah, but I think, you know, digital is a fascinating area in terms of, and there are some things that other, other industries can learn from, but also equally, I think digital can still learn from other industries. There's so many things that we can kind of learn from. Uh, yeah, both ways. It's like, it's like science, like digital being a, an industry where we're all always accepting that there are better ways to do things and there's things to learn. Um, and it's a wonderful place to be as, as like a, a person to be amongst that. You're always reminded to absorb, learn, fail, intentionally fail and learn from that kind of stuff. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah. I, there's a real culture of, in most, yeah, in most digital environments, there's a really great culture of sharing. Mm. Uh, you know in terms of insight uh, and how to do things um which is really powerful and, and there's a real passion and it actually there's a there's a real ability for a lot and we need to kind of change the bit where they can't but for a lot of people to engage with it proactively whereas if you're kind of i don't know particularly interested in the fs, FS sector in terms of its content there's not as many opportunities to get your hands stuck in I think well, actually it's quite accessible uh, in majority of instances uh, and people can kind of explore, test, uh, play, try. And that's really powerful, I think. Um, mm. And that's kind of, you know, why, why I think you're a great candidate for the, for the podcast really, because you mentioned that there are areas we can improve. And um, I think the, the kind of point I want to get across at is like the digital is welcoming and and how how anyone can kind of succeed um and you're clearly doing that you're clearly getting stuck in and all the rest of it so it's a great it's a great story to be able to kind of tell um to to people who are interested in getting involved in it because it's there it's, it's right for picking um but do, do you think there are like fundamental skill sets that that will work well specifically in tech seeing like a transition or there are so many different types of role one can play in digital or slash tech that I think anyone can find a niche as a, as a generalization. So I, I see no, to my mind, there is no barrier, whether you are, you know, the front end fires your imagination or it's DevOps or it's actually understanding the requirements for a particular business or, 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 or challenge uh, in, and capturing that and then helping a team deliver against it um, or whether it's about kind of coming up with new propositions all of those things I think if you've got an appetite and an interest 
you can mm. you can engage you mentioned how we could be doing better um do you have any specific examples um of where we could be doing better yeah well i think you know as with the vast vast majority of organizations or sectors are we inclusive and do we do we reflect society mm. the answer would be no you know and and i think we can celebrate things that we've done in terms of you know from a gender perspective in terms of uh, bringing a better balance uh, but it's not a balance yet clearly it's not a balance yet and and it's way skewed off i mean even just looking at you know the three of us um mm. as males on this podcast you know we, we, you know and maybe that's unfair but but, but we're, we're way off on that balance so i think any of those kind of diversity metrics there are act there is typically active work going on to address it uh to try and reflect society better in most instances in digital i think there are uh is it moving quick enough are we working hard enough on it some yes some no and have mm. we got to i don't you know have we got to the right point yet no and but does that mean we should we, we just have to keep keep fighting keep working keep focused on it uh because some of these things won't change unless we, we 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 proactively put the energy into making sure it can change. I think we we've had we've so had this. That, con Go on, sorry, Chris. No, I was just going to ask whether um, that was something that you're actively focusing on. Then, if that's something when you're making hiring decisions and team building decisions, whether that's something you're you're actively um, you have forefront of mind. Yeah, definitely, absolutely, and I think I'm. You know, I think we're all. I mean, there are so many things, you know, that, that have happened over the last, you know, nine months, even mm. in terms of, you know, in terms of what's happened and and how does that approach things? And, and, and when I was with the club and, and we had lots of open forum conversations about that particular um, subject uh, around racism, whether it's explicit or implicit. And, and what does a microaggression mean versus what does it, you know, and, and part of it's learning, you know, and, and I don't, you know, that subject matter or, and the wider subject matter is, I would never claim to know everything about it, and I'm still learning, and and I, I need to learn more. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, my observation, you know, we had a number of in the management team in the club that Sam and I were part of. Um, we started with uh, five male, you know, squad leads, which were kind of the people that that, that kind of did all the hard work. Um, Your second in command, I guess. Yeah, five five male and one female, and by the end it was three and three, mm. and actually, whether whether and that team worked far more effectively. Now, it, whether that's purely just because of the gender balance, you know, um, it is far more complex than that. But that was an active, that was a deliberate. Uh, I was very conscious of the gender balance, um, the ethnicity balance, uh, the age balance as well. Actually, age is a really interesting one in digital. Mm. I think kind of. That's probably the big, uh, the one that we probably don't go after. I think, you know, being older in digital, I think that's probably one of the, the more explicit taboos. Mm. I would um, whereas I think everyone would sign up to kind of addressing some of the other ones. I think that, that there's probably something, and I'm not saying we should go after age, age over any of the others at all. Um, but that's, yeah. I know what you, I know, you know what you're saying though. Um, and to draw parallels back to science, like physics being like a young person, there, you know, we're, we're led to believe that young minds are, are 
you know, curious and energetic and they hold all the, you know, the enthusiasm to drive an industry forward, but experience holds a lot of value and, you know, it's, it's too easy to, to focus on the, the young ones, but yeah, give credit to, and, and, and explore that rather than kind of dismissing kind of age as being yeah, a, a yeah. defining factor of someone's ability, you know? Yeah. But I know, I know what you're saying. It's a difficult one to raise, isn't it? When it comes to, because no one of those pieces is, is more important than the other. It's just, is is what, what tends to sometimes be flavor of the month in terms of like, what should we be doing? But, um, but I think that again, that's testament to what we spoke earlier about is, um, tech being or digital being like a, a vibrant, like, you know, curiosity feeding industry. And this allows us to be at the forefront. I think we should give us credit, you know, ourselves credit where credit is due. We are trying our best to be inclusive, but also recognizing that there is still a way to go sort of yeah. thing. So, yeah. um, that's, that's really, it's good. I think that's great. Like, I think that, um, like I say, we've spoken about, we've spoken about the inclusive aspects of, of this time, time and time again on this show. And again, I think it's a, it's a great story to, uh, to showcase. Um, like you mentioned earlier around team building and whatever, like, is there, like, is there anything you would take back to the, to the army having now learned from your time in, in, in digital? It's 15 years ago, Sam. Kind of, on, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm old man, as we just discussed. Um, <laughs> that's a really good question. I think, I think if you are an A1 engineer developer, that is that state. The status of that, uh, whether that be in terms of external recognition or whether that be financial, I think is is being significantly recognized um whereas in a lot of organizations you might be great at what you do but you're still part of a hierarchy and a and a, and a kind of you, you, whereas i think it's much more yes there is a degree of hierarchy in digital or fine whatever mm. but actually i think that um people who are able to uh, build great digital products are are celebrated are are chased are um, paid well mm. uh, and I think that actually I, mean, I was trying to think earlier this morning whether other other sectors kind of celebrate those kind of particular you know because you can be yeah you don't have to be have done 20 years in the bank and 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 you know kind of served your time mm. you know you, you can you can become a great you know you can you can crack on being a developer age 11 uh, and you know yeah and, and actually be pretty 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 good age 18 21 uh, and actually i'm not sure whether i'm saying anything that's making sense but it does in my head <laughs> well actually to be fair you've mentioned hierarchy there um yeah. is that like something you think is holding say the army back in in terms of allowing th people and to flourish and to be celebrated i don't think hierarchy really exists in the way that most people think in the army okay so absolutely there is a structure and there is a rank system and you know there are you know 
you salute the people above you and, and, and you call people sir and mom and all that good stuff. In reality, you know, if I'm out there, you know, it's, you know, out in Salisbury Plain with my troop, uh, 30 people, uh, we, you know, it's raining, it's a January evening, mm. uh, we haven't slept for two days, you know, everyone's a bit kind of <laughs> bit threaders and I'm saying, right, okay, great team, we're going to go and do this, you know, we're going to, our mission is to do X and we're going to go and crack on, who's with me? Yeah, they're obliged to say yes, definitely. Mm. There are different ways of saying yes, and there are different ways of acting to ensure that you complete your mission or not. So mm. it's built on, actually, the hierarchy is largely irrelevant in that context. It's about respect, and it's about trust, and it's about believing in the people around you. So I think that holds true in pretty much any situation, whether it be digital, whether it be the forces or whatever. You have to earn respect, and you have to earn trust. And, and people question, and I think that's good. I think, you know um well you know people question you know soldiers questions in the army you know <laughs> sam you had more than enough questions for me <laughs> when you and i worked together but that's good i think challenge different perspectives are are are, are, are how we get to better outcomes sometimes mm -hmm. you you know your 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 question your answer will be absolutely right or it'll add to how we make the, the proposal better or whatever it might be but um mm, yeah. yeah i'm not I, yeah um, yeah, I always saw, um, I mean, that's, that's really interesting to hear. Like, I didn't realize that you know, it's sort of viewed upon in a similar way, but the way I see kind of hierarchy isn't really hierarchy. It's that that person is just very good at that particular role or they have a, a higher up kind of perspective and a higher up, not in terms of hierarchy, but higher up in terms of, um, you know, developers are in the code. That's what they're good at. But sort of the squad leads are more looking over at certain things so you, you and you mentioned trust it's trusting that that person has a has a has that kind of perspective where they're able to make certain decisions and and certain things um better than than someone who doesn't have that perspective so you you hand that trust over to them and it might appear that they're kind of higher up in terms of hierarchy but they're not they just they just have those skills sort of thing so i would also say in addition to skills, I don't know whether you agree with this, Chris, or not, but they are willing to take the accountability. So, so one of the things, you know, taking accountability for a decision, which could go well or could go very badly, some people, and this is more than fine, actively don't want to do that. And that, that, that's absolutely fine. Um, some people relish that accountability and relish the kind of... <laughs> The nerve-making you know, point mm. that we have to make a call in terms of we're going to go left or we're going to go right or we're going to go with this framework or go with that framework or we're going to promote this person or we're not going to promote this person. Um, some people enjoy that that challenge and, and and some people vehemently would not want to be involved in any of those types of whether you consider it confrontational or challenging or or difficult situations to make decisions. So yeah, it's not just mm. about skills. I don't think it's about what your appetites are for and where your passion lies uh, and what you're prepared to shoulder in terms of responsibility and what you're prepared to kind of keep yeah i think that's a i think that's a really good call out actually the the accountability being sort of an opportunity to to grow leaders i think in an organization that approaches things in that scenario where it's it's quite flat and it's it's a meritocracy i guess 
the the willingness to take accountability is what creates a leader really and sort of lines them up for what might be the more traditional promotion because i think that's you know sam and i have talked about talk talk on this uh on this podcast a couple of times for obvious reasons and obviously that was something that you were uh, heavily involved in as well and because we had so many of the and digital people in the talk talk organization it kind of ended up being a nice blend between and digital and uh talk talk people mm. and and a mixture of others as well because there were other consultancies yeah, yeah, involved yeah. in that too and i think we did focus more on who wanted to become accountable for certain things actually um and we did allow people to take responsibility for things that uh, where, where they had an area of expertise or whether they had an interest and i think that actually helped us to become um a successful department because of that attitude and the the, w- the way that we all work together actually across multiple organizations you know internal external parties yeah yeah definitely definitely i think you can kind of anyone can have a title of manager but leaders does that doesn't necessarily mean they're a leader within the business or a leader amongst their peer group it's just yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to, to touch on as well with you is obviously, um, especially your, your early time in and Digital was a part was a time where you grew massively as an organization. Like the 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 number of people that you had there just increased hugely. Um, how does that differ for you know building a team in the army versus building a team in technology? Like, how do you manage that growth? And, you know, it, is there something that's comparable in the army for that? You know, do you pick your people in the army? I've realized I've, asked, I've rolled about three questions in there, but let's try and unpick them slowly. <laughs> uh, or I'll just answer a different one. Um... <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. I think that, so, I think the army, so the, the parallel with the army, I think is that, and, and is that, in and, I think there are three allegiances you have. You have an allegiance to your squad, which is the 12 people you joined and with. And that's probably the strongest bond. Those are your, those are your real, that's your real core. Then you have an allegiance, hopefully, to your club, of which that squad is part of. And then you have an allegiance to and as a full. So there will be intense rivalry between the squads within a mm. club. But as soon as a different club gets involved, it will be the whole of that club versus the whole of that club. And that's exactly the same in the army in terms of whether it be your, yeah, on your, yeah, with your company or your troop, there'll be intense rivalry. You know, if you're going to go and, I don't know, play a football match, a rugby match against another troop in, in, in your company, intense rivalry, you know, bitter, bitter rivalry. As soon as it's against another company, that person you've just been kind of knocking whatever out of, is your absolute best mate and you're going to go down to make sure that that you know the other company doesn't mess with you or 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 battery or whatever and it's exactly the same in a kind of i think not that we go around knocking everyone out in uh in and digital but that that kind of loyalty and that badge of you stick to your people uh and i think there's that kind of squad allegiance the club allegiance and then and um I'm not sure whether that answered any of your questions, but that was. Oh, I think of... it certainly answered part of one at least. Uh, but I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I think the uh, I think it's 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 uh, it's interesting though that that sort of mentality of having the um, the competition, I guess, because 
I because obviously we talked earlier about uh, you know this sort of being based on the Spotify model how and digital works, and I've worked in and worked in and implemented the Spotify model in a number of different places. Obviously, not actually Spotify, funnily enough, but um, the because it's it's become quite pervasive. I think since that that white paper they they uh, they issued. Um, 2011 i think it was but i'm probably going to get fact checked on that at some point <laughs> um the uh where i have implemented it before though there's never been that level of competition i don't think not even in amazon which is quite an aggressive company in in certain respects you know i, I think it's been more a way of organizing things and a way of separating parts of the business you know parts of the code base parts of how everything is structured I think it's interesting that you might have that sort of approach in and because it's a, it's a large consultancy where you are actually having to, I'm going to use mixed terminology. Now you're invading different businesses. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I like that terminology. (laughs) No, it's not the right technology, but you know what I mean? You're, you are coming into another organization. You've got to land, you've got to, quickly figure out what's going on and you've got to insert yourself into that organization and be effective really quickly and i can see that there's interrivalry within the organization it's interesting when all of a sudden you might land a second team in there that may have been a rival that now has to immediately get on it makes an awful lot of sense to me um yeah, I the word obviously I... don't want to the say bit... invade no, no. <laughs> um the bit i maybe i just kind of tweak is i don't think competition or rivalry is necessarily the right phrase typically Mm. i think it's that people most individuals as human beings like to feel part of a tribal group Mm. Uh, and there are and in the and structure there are three tribal groups you know the squad the club and the uh, and and as as a whole um so i think there's there is just a i remember kind of when i came in and someone's going oh maybe we just move these couple of people out of that squad into that squad it's like no <laughs> that, that's 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 their identity and actually it's quite a big deal to move someone i think and i don't know whether you agree with this or sam or not but you know rightly or wrongly you were you were kind of you were committed to to, to orion mm, orion correct? yep correct yeah, there we go cool thank you um <laughs> and and that's not a logical thing that's just that's an emotive thing yeah. those, you know those 12 people you join with um Yes, sometimes those things spill into competition or, or kind of how you know, who's best and blah blah blah. Um, but I just think it's more about pride in the group that you're part of, that tribal commitment. Friend, friendly competition and friendly rather. <laughs> unintentional as well, completely <laughs> unintentional. You just find yourself that some, you know, uh, competing against another squad, and you don't even realise you're doing it. So it's interesting you mentioned though. I mean, about the the sort of. The, the 12 people you were onboarded with and that becoming your team um were, were they always were every was everybody always onboarded in that sort of way because that feels to me like you know using my uh, experience of watching movies how the army might work as well like it's the, whoever you start with you know i've been re-watching police academy recently i know that's not the army but <laughs> <laughs> there's not many parallels between police academy and my experience in the army <laughs> are you sure are you sure well, I, I, we can go into this in more detail if we want to unpack it <laughs> <laughs> not for recording not for recording uh, yeah i think but, you, yeah. you're right i think i think there's um i think it is one of the powerful aspects of, of the way we do business in and it also is hard 
it, you know, it, it creates problems as well as creating opportunities. So I think, you know, as you say, brilliant. Start 12 people as a group. They go through that four week experience. They, they, they stay together as a group from an internal structure throughout their time at and that is incredibly powerful flip side and it's it, and this flip side doesn't outweigh it because we ignore it or, or we accept it is that recruiting the right 12 people for the right location mm. at the right on that one date is quite a it, it, it is not an insignificant task no that, yeah. that's hard and, and i think you know in in the uh, in the work that I do, I often talk with organisations that have a an obsession almost to fill the bums in seats as soon as they have those open heads available. Um, you know, they've got six open hires that they can make, and they want to make sure they hire them straight away. And where I've seen it be successful before is is actually just keeping those six heads open and just only hiring them when they meet your correct bar. So Amazon, for example, had a um, has a bar of 50% and says that the person that you are putting into that role must be in the top 50%. Otherwise they're actively lowering the quality of the, of that group. Um, which is, uh, it, it can sound quite aggressive, but it, it mm -hmm. makes, it makes total sense. You know, if you hire someone who's, who you know is going to be in the bottom 50% of that role, then they're, they're lowering the quality that you've got in your team. Mm -hmm. And it must be quite hard to keep such a bar and yet still hire 12 people on a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think actually, you know, credit to where credit's due, I think the AND recruitment team is the most effective recruitment team I have worked with or been exposed to to date. Uh, and, you know, we have grown very fast. And actually, I think as a general statement, the quality level has been, has been maintained exceptionally high. And I think that is a massive credit to the team. Um, yeah, well, I would agree from having been on the other side of it, the, the quality level um, for, you know, the, the, the caliber of the people that were in and was was incredible. And especially considering that there was a large percentage were, were, were new to the industry. You know, a lot we had a lot of people in Talk Talk, a large percentage had come out of university, but they were the best people I've seen come out of university. I think it, that is a testament to the hiring ability for, for and to to find people that don't really have anything on their cv they can't have anything on their cv mm. at that point but they found people who were um effective enough to not appear green <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and i think i think the other aspect to it and sam can absolutely kind of add or kind of contradict but is actually that that four week onboarding and and investing the time and energy if you kind of look on a spreadsheet and work out the kind of economics of it it's not a sensible thing to do to kind of take 12 people and put them through a four-week program um of that but actually the, the the there is a disproportionate value to that in terms of that that, that bring that group together giving that group uh, an understanding of what and's about how we operate how we deliver uh, what scrum means to us you know what agile means to us all of those good things i think it is a uh, yeah to set people up for success to actually be effective as and when they come out of it. Yeah, because one thing I would add to like this whole thing being in the middle sort of thing is I think a lot of the success you meant, and I wanted to ask around this meeting with bar of 50% because it sounds quite aggressive, uh, but uh, chemistry is a huge factor, I think, for the success. And you might even describe that as, you know, bleeding off into the culture of and digital. Um, 
but I think people wanted to do well. You work well when there's chemistry and if you're in a band, you know, or if you're in a team or whatever, as long as there's good chemistry, sometimes someone doesn't necessarily need to be the greatest, you know, they, 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 they enjoy where they work or who they're working with and they try hard and they persist, you know? Um, but what did you mean by like, how, how did Amazon test that 50% and what was, what was it measured on? Um, so Amazon have uh, a set of 14 leadership principles, which are available on the Amazon website. And those leadership principles are used on a daily basis. So they are things like customer obsession, think big, dive deep, um, insist uh, on the higher standards, all those sort, of, those sort of things. And actually a few of them, they, um, they contradict one another to a certain degree. And when you... Um, when you are interviewing in Amazon, they will have, say, a standard software development engineer interview will probably have about three rounds. You'll probably do a couple of coding questions. You'll do a couple of design questions, and you'll probably do some competency questions. And for each of those interviews, you'll probably have two interviewers, a lead and a shadow, and they will be looking for those techniques so they'll be looking for like like one interview will be looking for customer obsession and dive deep and the other one will be looking for uh, think big and insist on higher standards and when they get back together to do a debrief they will be looking for the person the candidate to have shown some of those skills whilst also passing their tests and all those sort of things and so in the debrief, they'll be going, well, you know, I saw evidence of customer obsession when they talked about this, but they didn't see this and I didn't see that, you know, and then they will compare notes and then they will do a blind vote, which is generally um, uh, inclined, not inclined, or um, I can't remember the actual adjective now. It's uh, um, strongly not inclined, that's it, and strongly inclined. And those are your four votes that you're allowed. You're not allowed an on the fence. If you have, a, if you're on the fence, you've not asked the right questions and you've not got the right data. Um, and so you, as an interviewer, have failed. Wow. <laughs> um, and then there is, a, there is. I mean, there's so much to unpack in this, but there's, um, there is also a bar raiser as well. So a bar raiser is generally someone who has got proven success of making great hiring decisions within Amazon, has gone through the course and all that sort of stuff. And they will be the casting vote largely with the hiring manager. And they tend to actually not be in the organization. So, for example, I was in digital video. You might have someone who was from somewhere else, um, you know, that well, predominantly was from somewhere else that, that might not actually be in digital video who is making that casting vote. So that allows you to try and level out the bar across the whole organization. And when they come to make the decision, they go, okay, well, what level does this person fit in? So, you know, you might have applied as a, as a senior software engineer and Amazon's placed you in one of their levels that is more of a mid-level and go, well, okay, in the mid-level, they're probably all right. Um, so we will place them in the mid-level and give them an offer at that level. They won't necessarily place you in the offer, in the role that you've actually uh, gone for. It's based on the experience of having interviewed you and spent the time with you. Um, or at least this was when I was, was, uh, was working there. It might have changed subtly now, I guess or significantly who knows but the um uh, the idea was that you would make the decision was on a particular level we go okay so in level five um they're probably good we can probably make an offer for that they're in the top 50 percent but actually you may have been going for the level above and you're not going to get in at all 
um, or you might just be decided that you're 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 not in that top fifty that top fifty percent, and they're using the uh, the bar is using the bar raiser from outside of the organization and having that across the whole org, um, that bar raiser group, and the knowledge of the people who are in the team, like you know, in comparison to whoever we've got hit, because everyone is generally stack ranked as well. Do they fit in the top fifty percent? Because there's a whole load of data and metrics that go underneath that too. What do you think about that, Simon? Like, <laughs> it's fascinating. Kind of, it's fascinating, but I, I feel like it's very different to Andigital. Like the way that they hire, the way they bring on people, the yeah, things I, we look for in people. I think, I think we we have a, in hand. We have a very strong focus on the cultural fit, yeah. which I think works in line well with us, and that's that's a really clear piece. Um. But I do, you know, I, I also have a real, I, I really like how, how Chris just articulated that in terms mm. of the quality level. And I think there's a, I think different organizations do it differently. And, I, you know, would that work in and maybe, maybe not, I'm not sure. But I think, you know, hearing how that's done, I think is a very powerful. Mm. A lot of, a lot of structure because, um, yeah, like I say, it just, it just feels worlds apart to how and digital bring people on, like, you know, that culture aspect and, that you know i think my first interview was called like a culture fit or culture <laughs> interview and i've taken that on board on on my company like we just do a culture kind of chat about things and whatever um and that's your gut feel then whereas it, it doesn't sound like amazon have any and the other thing i was thinking about when you were describing that chris was it does it sounds very siloed like are there are there um team are some of these principles based on their teamwork or, or their chemistry or their uh, compatibility with other team members? Yeah, they, they are. They, they are. I mean, when I say about the leadership principles, you have to, it, there's so much more context that goes underneath that, that mm. would require a lot more time to explain. Um, but it, it's the, the, the principles are used across the whole of Amazon. So every time you're making a product decision, someone will go, are we thinking big enough about this? Or, you know, there's an instant, well, okay, let's dive deep on the instant. And they're actually invoking those leadership principles. You know, when it comes to making a promotion decision um, or even a 360 degree feedback for your annual appraisal, everything is around those leadership principles. And so they are the culture that governs the whole company. So when you're seeing whether someone has, you know, if someone is talking about in an interview, if someone is in an interview and they're talking about a, the user they will get marked down, not necessarily marked down, but they will, they will get less points really with the interview than if they were started talking about the customer. Because for Amazon, a customer is much more important than a user. You know, so it's those sort of things where they, they're looking for terminology changes where someone actually just fits or whether they've got a little bit of training that needs to do or whether they're way off base. You know, and that's, the, that, that's, that's kind of where it fits in. And the bar raiser technique of having someone who maybe is from outside. So when we started doing interviews for the first time in in london um when amazon development center was forming which was 2011 2012 um the the first bar raisers that we had came over from seattle or were um we had one guy i think that came down from scotland because there was an amazon dev center in uh, in edinburgh and we had a guy i think from imdb as well who were in uh, bristol i think um, so you had these people that were from other parts of the organization would come in and that was what was used to level the bar across the whole organization. So a level five in London was a level five in Seattle 
you know you were you were you were sharing people because you had the bar raisers who were interviewing across the company you know you know the bar raisers would have other jobs to do but they could have spent that as a full-time job just being a bar raiser across all of amazon's different business units and there's so much leveling that happens in amazon on a yearly basis in terms of the appraisals is someone ready for a promotion are they in the top 10 percent which sort of for, for that level which lines them up for being a promotion uh you know everybody is stack ranked there is so much data in that company that they know exactly where someone slots in and they know if they've made a good hiring decision or they've made a bad hiring decision because actually that's one of the key things when you've made a hiring decision measure it six months down the line to see if it was still a good hiring decision um and i think a lot of places don't do that yeah. um, i and i mean that's totally different obviously to to and um when i moved to tesco we actually implemented something very similar there because they didn't really have a process in the engineering team at least to level people off across places it was far more siloed so although it may sound siloed for amazon the bar raiser technique is the way of aligning things i guess meant i meant from a candidate point of view that the candidate is being measured from a, like their own kind of performance and and mm. the, the the bar raisers or whoever's you know judging them effectively they're not looking at the chemistry and like i say the how they fit into that kind of culture or, or whatever but um just different well, yeah, I mean, it's the principles that everybody aligns to. That, that's mm. generally what it comes back to. With the stack ranking, the, the implication is that people will be at the bottom. I, you know, you're, you're kind of, you know, in the nine, you know, bottom 10%. Yeah. What are the implications? Are there implications for that? Uh, yeah, there are. Um, so, I mean, this is one of the things for the 50% rule being sort of, at, you know, actively pushed within the organization because. If you are at 50%, you should be worried that you're going to be in the bottom 50% next year. And as a result of that, because it's going to constantly go up because they, they constantly have a trickle mm -hmm. of hiring, uh, not yeah. like, you know, the, the, the batch hiring that AND does. Um, so, you know, if, if, if two more people are hired in, you're going to be in the bottom 50% unless you put the time and effort into studying and getting better. And so that's your incentive to grow up the organization by, you know, being, uh, uh, being a learner and a doer and someone who is meeting their objectives. Whereas obviously if you end up in the bottom, well, and if you end up in the top 10% as a result of meeting those objectives, you're lined up for promotion. If you end up in the bottom 10%, then you're lined up for being managed out of the business. Because again, you know, that's the way that they continually increase the mm -hmm. bar. It's, it's how they can, it's all tied into that continual hiring. You know, if they are constantly hiring, then they're also constantly shedding people. And mm. there is a high turnover of people in Amazon, whether they can, because some of it is natural attrition. There, there was a tool in Amazon which would tell you how long you'd been there in comparison to other people. And so um, two years was about the average before you kind of broke and left or were fired. <laughs> wow. Those three. <laughs> Again, I'm constantly making these comparisons and, and thinking about inclusivity. I get that wrong so much. Um, Amazon obviously have a very high bar. Am I right? Like, am I right in saying that? Yeah, of entry? yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on the subject of inclusivity, that that's, there's obviously, there's obviously a range that uh, someone can get involved in, in digital, getting involved in development or whatever, um, a range of kind of barriers to entry. And again, just thinking about the topic of what we're talking about, I would say that like, and digital, is very much more inclusive. Like they still demand great 
great skills and they they do get great skills but but they look for people in different places and they measure them on different things i think culture being one of the biggest things but um simon kind of from from your perspective there like what would you say to these what would you say to people kind of given your you know wonderful amount of kind of experience and how you've transitioned from not even knowing how to type on a you know computer let's not repeat that, let's not keep repeating that. <laughs> um struggling to use um you know a complex piece of equipment like a laptop all the way to <laughs> you just repeated that a second time sir <laughs> i realized that i really i tried to rephrase it as something that that maybe people can uh you know, respect and understand. I've got it's... another question that comes off the back of it. <laughs> Simon, can you touch? Can you touch type? No, you can't. Not learn that. Fifteen years. Your man is on the move. <laughs> <laughs> no. I know. So, I know. To be fair, they say so I, I can. I, I am. I am better than that. I am definitely yeah. better than that. I would not. But say for for those, for those only listening on the audio, uh, Simon is just miming typing with a single finger. With both hands, by the way. So that's 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 better than just one hand. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so what, I mean, what would you say to people, kind of, you know, potentially on the fence, or you know, again, speaking earlier about that, um, we're maybe not being inclusive enough. What would you say to those people, kind of wanting to kind of get involved, and um, what maybe worked for you, or something like that? Yeah, I'm probably going to repeat a bit of what Chris just said, actually, in terms of, the, you know, if you want to go on an Amazon and keep retain your job and be promoted, you put the time in, you put the energy in and it's up to you. So I, I genuinely believe this is this is my personal perspective that most people can do most things if they commit themselves and they and they do all the things that don't require a huge amount of brain power. If you put your energy in you 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 have enthusiasm uh you you deliver what you promise uh you are you know we can go into all sorts of things you're, you're on time you're polite all of those good things mm. you can achieve a huge amount in any context i fundamentally believe that now those things don't allow you to be a brain surgeon don't think that allow you to kind of deliver you know lectures in astrophysics but you can do most things and so i think the opportunity to be involved in digital or the opportunity to be involved in whatever you wish is there if you have the desire the commitment and the drive to achieve it i think that's totally true i guess yeah and and to, to your point about you know it won't allow you to be a, a, a astrophysicist or whatever <laughs> though though it doesn't stop you getting there eventually like you know rome wasn't built in a day and all that kind of crap you know um you know getting involved in and getting to you know entering kind of digital at a place where you feel comfortable where you can achieve um and then working totally being able to work your way up um just like you have in some ways you know you're you're, you're you know it's a, it's a great thing to kind of remind well, people about well, well i think we all you know we all well, maybe i think most of us have a degree of imposter syndrome so most of us are waiting for someone to tap us on the shoulder and go, mate, <laughs> we've just found you out. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> off you go. And, and I, you know, I feel that most days. Um, You'd be surprised but, how often that comes up in this podcast, frankly. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's part of the human condition, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. And, and we're all part, you know, all of us, a part of us is waiting for that to happen. Um, 
and, and no one actually has all the answers and no one has all the experience and actually but if you've got a bit of energy you've got a bit of enthusiasm you've got drive you've got commitment i think you can you can achieve a huge amount with limited skill and you can build that skill wonderful well i mean unless you have any more questions chris i think that's a wonderful place to to wrap up on no i think that's good i think that's good uh, the the one thing that we didn't uh, quite touch on in that unfinished question before simon when i asked you several <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah and i answered it's your fault chris yes yeah. it's, yeah. My, it's my fault it's definitely my fault i've got much more much more work to do as an interviewer um it, <laughs> the uh, we were talking about the hiring bar for amazon and uh, we were talking about the uh, the, the approach that you have uh, at hand for hiring um sort of batches you really did scale at quite a dramatic pace. How did you maintain a bar in the and sense uh, whilst you were hiring so many people? Really good question. I don't think we, I don't think I have a, such a structured answer as how you've articulated how Amazon operate. Um, one of the things, you know, and going back to kind of one of the other topics we were talking about in terms of leadership and taking accountability and the pros and cons that go with that um one of the cons or one of the hard parts of 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 leadership and, and actually taking genuine accountability for the business you're part of and the people you work with is 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 addressing situations where people have been incorrectly hired mm. so whether that's because they're the wrong cultural fit or their skills don't match helping them trying very hard to help them address that. And if that doesn't, and either if it doesn't work or if they don't want to address that, taking it to its natural conclusion of whether well, they're not the right fit for, for this organization then. And it's very easy to skirt those types of um, situations or decisions. Um, and it's certainly not pleasant going through it at the time on an individual level, but it is the right thing to do. If someone is not the right fit, it's not gonna work for them and it's not gonna work for the business. And it's not gonna work for our clients either. Our clients pay you know, significant sums of money for us to work with them. And if, 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 if an individual is not up to scratch, that's, that, that is not acceptable. And that's partly, you know, if we have mishired someone, that is that the blame, with, is is a lot on us on that if we if we have failed to recruit someone properly either we haven't asked the right questions we haven't asked sufficient questions we haven't explained what the expectations are sufficiently all of those things those come on our shoulders um and how how frequently did you have mishires i mean obviously injecting mishires is one of the most difficult parts of the uh yeah. job but how how frequently were you having to to uh to go after that i think I think we have far fewer mishires now than we did before. Mm. And I think even before, so I think we've learned an awful lot, as you would expect over, you know, we're only six, six and a half years old. So, yeah, yeah. so, so it, it, we're learning a lot quickly. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, my learning was, when, you know, when I came in and, and Decker was already, you know, there's two squads in Decker, so there's 20, 25 people there. And we grew up to 85, 90 people. My learning, one of my big learnings was actually that on reflection, I should have dealt with issues 
regarding people who weren't right, the right fit, whether that be cultural or, or, or technically, quicker. I dealt with each of them, but my reflection is if I was going to go back and do it again, I would do it quicker for both parties' interests, uh, for both the individual and, and for Rand and the club. Yeah. Um, I think that's uh, another big taboo in business is firing. Um, it's like you, you, you phrase it wonderfully about like benefiting both people. It absolutely benefits both people. And it's, it, it sort of feels like a taboo to fire and like something I would, I would love to explore maybe not now, but it's, um, it's an interesting subject because it does benefit both people. And it, it, you know, if it's not the right fit, it's not the right fit. And I can imagine, um, dealing with that and as, and digital seem to have been able to, um, overcome is is kind of dealing with that taboo and um and well actually the one thing i was going to add to Chris, your answer simon was like award-winning recruitment team as well that's obviously <laughs> another reason yeah yeah, why yeah yeah and i think we also are committed to people so our first response in those types of situations is what can we do to help that person be mm. successful because i think it's on our responsibility to do that uh, and there have been some wonderful good outcomes uh, that's poorly worded there, there have been yeah. some wonderful conclusions to that where people have, have 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 blossomed into what they need and what we want them to be um mm. and had a successful careers equally there have been situations where the person hasn't wanted to or hasn't seen the change necessary uh, and yeah but what, what were the for you the telltale signs that someone was underperforming i think i think if you asked each individual, honestly, most people would give you the answer as to who, who in their team are not performing. Mm. Whether you then, whether, I think this is something that we are still learning in our, in our business, is how do you give constructive feedback? Because mm. actually we do have a genuinely nice bunch of people in and, and that, that, that's part of the culture. They are genuinely a nice bunch of people. Um, so they, the appetite to point out where there are significant issues professionally people want to do that culturally people don't want to cause pain necessarily and actually i'm of the view that actually we cause more pain if we don't don't do that and it's better to actually you know whether we use the analogy of pull the plaster pull the plaster off quickly or whatever it might be but um i think deep down in most situations most of us will know where there, where someone is not performing well, I think you have to then go and get some actual data. You have to actually make sure there is some, you know, because people's perceptions cannot be, it cannot be just based on people's perceptions. Mm. There's, you know, huge amount of energy and effort goes into recruiting, and actually, it's not appropriate. It's not fair on the individual if it's just based on perceptions. It has to be, it has to be data driven. I think, and 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 so that has to be done properly, um, and weighed up properly. And you were talking about, you know, doing it quicker. So, you know, what, what timeframes are we talking about for identifying this, the, the poor performance? Um, so we have a six month probation period. Um, right. And I think it's quite easy when you're growing quickly or, or when lots of things are going on to just let that slip by. Mm. Um, and, and, and actually for the vast, vast, vast majority of individuals in AND, it slipping by is no issue whatsoever because because they're they're doing brilliantly and so on. 
But actually, one of my learnings was actually, you know, what's, a, you know, month one, month three. OK, if there's anything wrong at month, if we're still got if there are things that need to be corrected in month three, then we need to be having a proactive plan for the next two months to address it. And if we're not, then, you know, that, that we need to be we need to be taking account of it. Um, Six months is quite a long probation period, really. Yeah. And I think, you know, for some, you know, professional services is new to some and actually, mm. you, know, you know, actually going to work with clients so we work go and work with our clients on client sites and if you take the if you take the stereotypes at face value in terms of some developers being more introverted uh, and not wanting to engage more broadly but wanting to be plugged in and, and cracking on and building their code not interrupted actually being out on client site being part of a dynamic team engaging with the client engaging with other team members it takes a bit of getting used to um, yes yeah uh, and and so you've got to give i think you know that's that's a big change you know how our culture is is a big change you know people coming in from other organizations are going well hang on it's not how i've done it before and so you've got to i think you do have to have yeah you're right i i have i have sadly had to conclude individuals before they've come out of boot camp on occasions now that's been very very unfortunate and as you've mentioned before that's the first month yeah the first month yeah. so, and actually that's been you know so we'd have a check-in on week one and go, right, how's everyone doing? Cool. Everyone, you know, and, and, the, and the, 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 the boot camp team will be going, yeah, brilliant. Everyone's cool. There's, we've got a concern about this person, either because they're not contributing very much or, or they seem to be misaligned in, in terms of the values and, and so on that we're talking about. So in those types of scenarios, and like I say, they happen infrequent, very, very infrequently, right, let's have a conversation with the person. Let's be clear about what expectations are. Let's review it again at the end of next week and so on um but it's not fair it wouldn't much as i did not relish taking that decision it would have been a worse decision to allow that person to come into the club get to know they they just weren't the right cultural or or, or technical fit for the organization so it wouldn't work for them and it wouldn't work for us so mm. it was better to deal with um sooner rather than later but yeah not pleasant not something i relish no, I don't think anyone really enjoys the uh, the the firing part. It's not uh, it's not it's not the best part of the uh, of the job, certainly. No. How are you finding that uh, affecting things? Well, actually, how is and in general being affected by everybody now working from home? Obviously, a lot of, of the culture in and was uh, was based on people being on site and blending yeah. with teams, and uh, you know the the culture was always positive and uplifting. How how is that translating to uh, Zoom and other technologies that may be available? Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, I, my my natural inclination is positive, so I actually think that on the whole we have transitioned pretty well, uh, and actually um, our delivery teams out with clients, although you know on, on you know online at, but out with clients, cracked on through and actually deliver, continued to deliver and actually we've stood up numerous new teams with clients and so on so there's been an awful lot of energy invested into making it work uh both with our clients and and with our um internal kind of culture and actually in some ways i think it's been really positive you know the positive aspect of you know for instance we do throwback thursdays 
and actually you know a photo on the kind of the channel you know the club channel in terms of sharing actually and actually I've learned an awful lot about the people I work with because we've done throwback Thursdays rather than about what's been your best fancy dress costume cool that's funny and you know and, and great and, and wonderful but actually you know share something about your cultural history or share you know share your family connections and actually I have genuinely learned an awful lot about different people that I might not have done in, in those scenarios. Equally, I've, you know, you, you miss out on those impromptu catch-ups, you know, you bump into someone at the Friday fund where we kind of all catch up or, or an action day or whatever. Definitely, you, you miss that. But I have therefore deliberately been deliberate about engaging individuals and being systematic about it and, and talking to people and actually having some in-depth conversations and, and, and actually, so yeah, there are definitely some things that you'd help would be different, but there have been some real positives out of it, I think, in terms of connecting with people, both clients and, and, and internally, you know, before COVID hit and lockdown and so on, I would have said very clearly that, that, that engaging with people on WhatsApp from a business context was was a massive no-no. That was my stance, you know, and, and, and probably quite old school and blah, blah, blah. Actually now, you know, I may, I, I kind of interact with my clients, my the relationship you know, through WhatsApp a lot. Mm. And actually I've completely changed my opinion. And actually I probably got a, a closer or a quicker, closer, deeper relationship with a number of clients because actually we're all sharing in a sim similar type of situation um in do, you envisage, do you envisage it going back to how it was if things ever go back to how it were <laughs> yeah. uh, or, or do you think that this is a this is a change that you're going to you know at least continue in in some sort of hybrid scenario yeah so so yeah hybrid i think is the word uh, so we're yeah. we're now launching we're kind of formalizing our perspective on blended working we are now going to recognize that there are kind of three or four locations where you could work from. You could work from our client. You could work from a clubhouse. You could work from a location near to your house, or you could work from home. And depending on the work that you need to do and the context in which you're delivering it will depend on where you should be based. Ignoring, yeah, as and when lockdown unfolds and, and, and we have kind of freedom of movement. Um, so I do think the dial is has moved significantly and i think you know some you know obviously you know there's lots of news about you know different organizations just kind of canning their offices i think there is still a place for kind of face-to-face -face and there's a place for interaction but i think there's been a and i think we all knew it in the digital space but 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 i think not maybe not necessarily across more broader sectors that, that people can operate effectively using tools like zoom effectively using slack using you know all of those aspects as, as well as using the mobile phone you know i actually call people up on the phone now stick my headphones on walk around the garden or walk down the road having a conversation with someone and actually that's cool that's cool but i would also like to see people in the flesh and and and, and, and i'm sure we'll all relish that as well i just don't think it i don't think it is binary anymore i don't think it is purely this or that i think the spectrum has has changed i think yeah, no, I agree. I think it'll be interesting to see how it all pans out. Yes, given time. Hopefully, sooner rather than later. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we've still got a few months worth of it yet. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Should we wrap up there? I think we can wrap up there. That was great. That was lovely. Well, thank you for having me. It's been lovely. Cheers, chaps. Take care. Take care.
Ta-ra. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.